Assalamu alaikum. My name is Salim Qasim and I'm the chief editor of the Muslim Vibe and your host for this week's podcast. This week I'm joined by Emily Garthright, a journalist who has just returned from Iraq after photographing the Arba'in pilgrimage. Emily is a 25-year-old London-based photojournalist focusing on humanitarian and, and environmental issues. She has a master's in photojournalism and documentary photography from the University of Westminster. She has worked across India, Southeast Asia, Eastern Europe, the Middle East and Africa. The Arba'in marks 40 days after the day of Ashura and commemorates the death of Hussein ibn Ali, the grandson of Prophet Muhammad, who was killed alongside his family members and close companions in the city of Karbala in the year 61 after Hijra. Every year, millions of pilgrims flock to Iraq to remember Imam Hussein and the stand that he took against the tyrant Yazid. Before we get underway, a quick word from our sponsor. Wahad helps you become a halal investor in minutes. Clients from over 40 states have already started their journey with us. Here's how it works. First, we ask you eight simple questions to recommend a portfolio based on your risk profile. You then select your portfolio and simply sign up online. Your account can be approved in seconds. After you fund your account, we'll place the trades for you. All you have to do then is sit back and monitor your performance. It actually is that easy. Uh, hey Emily, thank you very much for, for joining me today. Um, so just quickly, I wanted to start off by asking how this whole thing began. Uh, what brought you to Iraq to capture the Arba'in pilgrimage in, in 2018? Yeah, so in 2017, um, I got an email from the Iranian Arts Institute, and it was kind of like a spam email. It was there was a severe language barrier, and I think 80% of people, if they received it, wouldn't respond to it. But there was enough information there that I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to. I cannot help it. Being the inquisitive person I am, I was like, I have to respond to this. And so what I normally do is, in any of those cases, I always arrange a call because someone will be able to speak English and, you know, will see what's actually going on. Mm. So this was about, this was like two and a half weeks before Arba'in in 2017. And they had had an issue with the photographer, an American photographer, couldn't get them a visa, um, and they needed to replace someone for the speech-length documentary, and they needed a photographer to be the subject of it. And the whole um, kind of concept for the documentary was it was a a photographer witnessing Arba'in from a cultural rather than religious standpoint. Um, and obviously being non-Muslim, it was likely that obviously I was going to witness it from a cult, you know, for the, for the, um, for the beauty of it, for the peacefulness of it, for the, you know, the cultural integrity of it. And so within like two and a half weeks, I was out there. Um, wow. And I'd never done a documentary before. I'd never been to Iraq before. Had never done anything like that. And I just thought, right i'm just i'm gonna go for it um and the thing is i can safely say that i did witness it from a cultural standpoint because we didn't walk it we walked parts of it maybe for like two hours a day and in that time i'd be photographing people and i would be learning as i went because there aren't any resources online that really outline what the history is of this um you know the religious terms are obviously and, and you can find that in plenty of text but I mean like culturally what you know what this means for people first person accounts it, it's not it's not available online mm. um, and the only pictures that I saw were these like bird's eye view images of masses of people wearing black walking through the desert with flags you know it looks aggressive from a bird's eye view yeah um, and that's the stuff they've got available it's just millions of people and what they haven't said is in peace, you know, walking and everyone is so kind to each other and it's all free. That's not online. Um, so I did the first that first trip for 10 days um, and we made our way to Kabla and I was very overwhelmed um, and very overworked. So I didn't really have that sense of spirituality. I was really overworked because if we if I wasn't working, we were driving and I was being filmed you know, I'd be filmed walking into my hotel room or mocap, you know, it didn't stop. And then when I was like, in my hotel room, they'd have to film me as I like updated my pictures. You know, I was being filmed 24 seven. Yeah. You think of like when you walked it, like, can you imagine you, you're mic'd up the whole time and you're having to take pictures. So for me, um, I didn't find God on that trip, <laughs> found stress. but it was the most life changing trip of my life because I had never 
seen so much kindness like genuine kindness you know I've had the opportunity to meet communities around the world but I hadn't experienced it to that level and it wasn't like sickly sweet and you know it's genuine it, it was genuine it wasn't it wasn't that it didn't feel like a like customary thing that had to be done it was just everyone I like the fact that people got angry when I didn't accept things for free. <laughs> you know, for me, maybe that's like a British thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I yeah, yeah. That. Like, that, for me, had more integrity because Brits are always very suspicious of kindness. Yeah. You know, very cynical people. But like, why are you being nice? Yeah. Why? But in this case, I didn't doubt any of the generosity or kindness. And that was a real relief because it can annoy me when people are really nice. Like, you're not. like. <laughs> <laughs> so then when... Then And then about three months ago, Farzan, who was a producer of the documentary last year, and I had a call and I, I said, gosh, it's coming up to Arbaeen again and I can't stop thinking about it. And um, and then we had another chat about, about a month before and I said, I want to go. I said, I don't know why, I need to go. Can we walk it? I want to walk. And he said, let's do it. And he said, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but let's just try. And um, my visa didn't go through. So when I, I arrived um, in Baghdad, I had to wait for like seven hours. And then some doctor paid for me to go through. And um, we had loads of uh, issues just before everything. It wasn't supposed to happen. And I think there was like a real acceptance of it. Like I was calling him saying, well, if I get deported, I get deported. We gave it a go. You know, we weren't we were very at peace with the idea that it was always going to be a privilege to do it. Mm. And if it didn't happen, it didn't and happen. Can I ask what, um, like what, what, cause you said that, I mean, you mentioned a, a lot in the last couple of minutes, but you said that you didn't feel a, a sense of peace last time. You didn't find God the last time around because you're so overworked. What made you want to come back again this year? I think I was different. Like, personally things have changed for me since that January that that trip last year had made me rethink a lot of my life and I had made some quite big kind of personal decisions after that and then I had sort of re-found myself I think as of January this year you know creatively and personally and I was feeling a bit before a little bit sort of I wasn't feeling lost I just didn't feel like I had um the power within me someone Mm. else was sort of I felt was dictating my life and then everything through power of positivity which is what I've been living with kind of religiously for this past year seemed to work just being kind and being open to things and not judging people and Mm. it's a very normal way to live but really kind of prioritizing that above everything else and I feel like last year I had so much kind of stuff in my head you know and um I didn't feel totally prepared for it I didn't think you can be and I think I've spoken to lots of people who when they first walk Arbaeen they say you just witness it the first time you're only a witness because like everything is new and normally people are stripped down to like their mundane activities like brushing your teeth and having a sleep but during Arbaeen you don't even have mundane things like everything is just up in the air like it's your I think for the first time you do just have to experience it but I think the second time is different because there is a level of like spiritual and emotional preparation even physical preparation just me going for extra walks (laughs) (laughs) and this time yeah I walked it and it was just with Farzan with someone I trust and know and he is a devout Shia Muslim and Iranian and a father husband two kids very successful businessman you know doubled my age but we um, and we, I mean, we, we couldn't be more different, but we have exactly the same values and it doesn't require any labeling of religion or intention or job. So he taught me, we taught each other a lot about that relationship. And, and we spoke heavily about faith because I've always found it a very challenging topic because it has caused, not faith, religion. I've always found religion a very hard topic because it has caused so many issues around the world. Yeah. I felt so out of touch with that because 
you know, I look at what, what Christians have done. I, you know, look, at, you just you just look through history and you go, where's the good? And Arbaeen, for me, was the first time when I went, oh, okay, get it. Like, this is the good bit. You know, it's hard to find. Yeah. Because each religious community will stay amongst themselves. Like, how am I supposed to experience? I, I can't experience it. But I'm being let into some one of the most sacred walks in the world mm. with open arms to bear witness to it and to see it all. So for me, it helped me understand religion. And once I felt I understood that, then I felt I could connect with faith. Well, because I never the two of them together. I think. I just yeah. Sorry, no, I, I, with regards to Arbaeen itself, I think what's, what's quite fascinating about it is that it's one of the largest annual gatherings that takes place annually. Um, you know, I think this year they... they largest annual peaceful gathering. Peaceful gathering. Um, th this year, I think the, the official figures are about 15 million. Um, and, but, but, you know, but, uh, as you mentioned, it, it's just not very well known. Was eleven point five, which was like an all-time high. Yeah. And I think it was maybe a little bit more than fifteen million, because you know some people just fly directly to Kabul and don't do the full walk. Yeah, but yeah. To get yeah. eleven million people walking is very new, because normally it's people. I think more people are going to do it next year. Yeah, I, I think it has. I mean, obviously, in the time of Saddam Hussein, um, this whole kind of pilgrimage was completely suppressed. So what's happened since two thousand and six is that you know this sort of spirit of of the pilgrimage has been revived and sort of come back and and it's been very interesting to see how it's developed and grown over the last few years but i guess for for people who who don't know anything about arbaeen our listeners um in your own words how would you describe it from i guess a, a historical but also from a cultural perspective i mean the initial the first thing you say is it's a walk of peace that has to be prioritized above everything else because the reason it was banned was because Saddam thought it could be revolution, you know, it could cause a revolution, and he saw, you know, fifteen million people plus as a weapon, something that could be weaponized. And what's really important is, under all of that stress and strain and pressure and potential for it to be, it has always remained peaceful. There has never ever been a year when it has not been. Um, and it's also something which people, regardless of whatever obstacles have been put in their place, whether it's Daesh or Saddam or, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, there were other issues with sheikhs. Um, people still walk it. And only three or four years ago, you know, 120 people died of a car bomb accident. But um, a car bomb accident from a terrorist attack, a car bomb, which was near Al-Hila, I think. So this people aren't going to stop walking. This is always going to happen. So if it's always going to happen, I don't know why. It's the most underreported thing in the world, frankly. Um, and I think for people who are looking at it from outside perspective, you might see people cloaked in black, but the reason why they're cloaked in black is because they're mourning. Um, I wonder whether the public global image of Arbaim would be different if people were wearing white. I feel that there is... Um, a connection between that clothing and it being a maybe intimidating politicized look at iraq it's not it, it's not political at all um in fact the whole point of it is it never has been it's sort of the antithesis of everything that it looks like <laughs> um and i think the also people online they might see if they google it they might see that there's quite a kind of focus on self-flagellation that is only for a very very short period of time and that is done by my and that is, generally speaking, disregarded by a lot of Shia Muslims. Um, and I have total respect for those choices, as do many Shia Muslims. But it certainly doesn't represent the whole religion. Yeah. It's really, really important that we look at countries and religions in shades of grey. Um, and all too often, as is what is happening, particularly in the UK and America, is that people are striking out with a very, very black and white narrative of what is expected of um, a young Muslim in, in, the, in this country. And the same with an entire nation in Iraq. Um, they just think it's desert, war, uh, fighters. You know, it's, it's the most important story because it kind of, it, it, it combines two very polarised opinions of what it, what it is to be um, Iraqi and what it is to be Muslim and it turns it all on its head it's the most 
it's such an amazing i just feel so passionately about <laughs> such an amazing opportunity to change people's minds yeah not even change their minds just give them another narrative and go can you just take a look at this and come back to me you know i know you don't have to convince anyone of it you just need to show them and journalists have a public responsibility to cover these things and you know it's really interesting Syed Madresi who was saying that after Saddam left loads of journalists photographed Albayin for the first few years from kind of 2006 because at the time it was very symbolic of breaking away from you know everything that he represented and then they stopped because ah, it doesn't matter anymore hmm. it matters more than ever because yes it might have been banned but actually what's happening around the world at the moment you think you have this is really important we have to cover what's been happening in Mosul we have to cover you know some of the issues that Iraq are facing but please can we also put something that is positive and sheds light on kindness and integrity and authenticity and generosity more than anything else and also whilst you're there we welcome Jewish, Christian, Hindu, Sikh, Buddhist communities around the world. Come and see it. We'll feed you, you know, clothe you. We'll give you a bed. We'll carry you, drive you. Where do you want to go? You know? Yeah. So I just, I'd love people to experience it. I think what, what's also quite um, remarkable and, and, and noteworthy as well is obviously the, the sort of... Uh, religious and historical significance of, of Arba'in and, and why people are doing this. So obviously, and I'm assuming you walked from Najaf uh, to Karbala, so Najaf uh, is you know, the shrine of Imam Ali, the, the father of Imam Hussein, um, who is the grandson of the Prophet. Sorry? There's a big long-standing joke amongst like everyone I've been working with recently. I'm obsessed with Imam Ali. <laughs> everyone prays to, uh, you know, prays for Imam Hussein, but I've always like, I have like a really special place because Imam Ali is like Imam Hussein's father. I feel like he knows, he's, he, he knows. He knows. Like he's good to communicate with. Yeah. And Farzad, who I walked with, he thanked um, Imam Ali for everything at the end. He was like, it was, it was Imam Ali. <laughs> but it, it's um i think the, the 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 history of of what actually happened in karbala and and the the sort of the battle that took place and the reason why uh imam hussein was killed um refusing to sort of bow to a tyrant and essentially standing up for social justice and and good moral values right and i think what's at a time Oh, it was 30,000 yeah, uh, yeah well obviously there are different historical accounts but let's say 30,000 against Lots. a handful a lot yeah and, and what's what's interesting is that for me at least I see a lot of parallels between what happened um, 1400 years ago and what happens today and, and our own individual responsibility and and I think that's what draws people to Iraq for, for the Arabian pilgrimage because it's almost like a pledge of allegiance that when we see something that we don't agree with in society, in the world, we need to stand up, we need to do something. And unfortunately, almost as human beings, we get tired and we kind of forget what what we're here for, what our morals are, what our values are. And it's like, a, you know, the, the, the reason why people go year after year is to kind of reinvigorate that within themselves. So it's quite interesting and nice that you went in 2017, you saw a lot of changes in yourself and then decided that you wanted to go again the following year. And and who knows? Maybe you'll be there again next year as well. Um, yeah, yeah, big big smile there. <laughs> I think it is, an, it is it is a it is a phenomenal experience. Um, We've already booked it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. In in your uh, the Instagram story, I remember from the day of Arbain itself. Um, there, there there seemed to be a lot of emotion on your side. Um, th mm. There are there are shots of you kind of crying, um, just you know, almost with the people there. And then when you're on the rooftop overlooking the sort of thousands of people, you took a moment to kind of meditate and whatever else. It might be difficult, but are you able to kind of articulate the, the feelings and emotions and just what was going through your head on that day and at that time? Yeah, I think by that stage, Farzan and I had walked around 100 kilometers together. And my experience of Arbaeen at that time was, you know, I was interviewing everyone, speaking to everyone, and creatively was looking for pictures the entire time, it, it, right up until I go to sleep. 
um, so I was kind of working, but not, you know, we'd have these really quiet moments where we just sit on a riverbank and we talk about God and, you know, over that 10 days we were kind of building up to something. Um, and Farzan actually sent me a really important message only a, only two days ago, kind of saying like, you know, you asked me to guide you to God and now I feel like you have guided me. You know, this that sometimes we think that some people, feel, you know, we can sometimes feel, I have this personal relationship, I'll introduce you, he was kind of saying, and he was like, I think you might have introduced me again. You know, I think sometimes you don't really realise. He was like, I don't know how you were the one to introduce me. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm bumbling through this. But what was kind of happening is that every step, and you're, the tears are a product of all of that, every kind of step I was questioning my place and my purpose and you know I'm a photographer and I'm very interested in um not even interested passionate beyond belief about social reform in, in every shape and um I was just every step I took feeling increasingly frustrated that people were responding so positively online it was kind of breaking my heart so just thinking this shouldn't be a surprise you know, oh my God, they look so friendly. You know, sometimes I'd respond, I'd say, who looks friendly? What, when you say they, what do you mean? Who's they? You, who's they? Um, call, call, call them by name. What is them? You know, I, it was just, all of the language was also kind of breaking my heart. And, you know, wow, I never thought Iraq was beautiful. Every country's beautiful. How could you not, how could that, and it really wouldn't ever have crossed someone's mind. And so when I got to Kabbalah, and I think people online, that's why I only want to kind of speak to you guys, I think people online are a little bit confused about my position. I'm not press. I was never press. Mm. And my past wasn't a press pass as such. The reason, what is really, really important is there is a narrative online which I haven't read but I've been informed about that I was only there because I'm a white woman and that this entire project was led by white privilege which white privilege and anything that all of us experience has to be ticked and you have to register it I am aware that I am a white woman I am was aware for the entire trip I was aware last year um it the the, the thing that I kind of want to say on this matter is I was there last year and I didn't have access to anything, okay? I, I, I did the walking, I had an entire film crew, private funding, relationships with people in Kabbalah and Najaf, and the only thing we managed to, to, to get into was Imam Ali's shrine, um, the, the actual, the, you know, the, the mosque rather than the actual shrine. Um, so if anyone thinks I got there just because I'm, I'm white, they'd be they'd be kind of rudely mistaken because I've already done Arbaeen and I think people didn't really know that. Now, the second time I went is after a year of work. Um, I've exhibited my work last year from Arbaeen internationally. Um, you know, I'm really thankful that it's, you know, won a couple of awards. We made an entire feature-length documentary. And then this year I live-streamed nearly all of my trips I walked it and I continued to post about it and presented a really, really positive. I didn't present it. I just showed it. I showed Arbaeen. The reason why I was let onto the roof was because I'd served that time, if anything, you know? Hmm. I didn't deserve it. I hadn't earned it. But I, I was so pleased that they saw the value in letting me up there and using that social media position which has to be considered as well. The photography I'd already produced, so they knew that whatever I was producing this year would be up to standard, and that I'd taken enough interest to return again and walk it, and not be a member of press, just be a, be a pilgrim walking. So I really want to make that clear. I wasn't with a fixer. Farzan is a married father of two, and he works for like a water filtration company in Iran. He can barely speak Arabic, you know, we were just bumbling along. We were just part of it. We weren't, I wasn't there on some like official business. Yeah. And there were other people on the roofs around, I think. Um, but 
you know, no one is outraged at all the other men who are on the roof. Um, so what I kind of want it to be is like, if they're going to let me on the roof, please respect that I made sure to show it and to be authentic and honest. And, you know, I appreciated it at the very, very least know that I beyond, I was beyond humbled and the biggest shame would it be, would be that that experience had been neglected by whoever experienced it. I know a number of women who have been up on the roof before Muslim, uh, like a lot of Muslim women, I think there's a Pakistani woman I got told about three years ago, she was on the roof. Um, some people said that there's friends who go up regularly. Um, so the significance of me being up there, I think I'm one of, of many, but I was humbled by it. I appreciated it. I never took it for granted. And that is why I probably cried because it being humbled is a very kind of powerful feeling. And then also identifying with a sense of, there being something greater than everything that was available to my eyes. You know, I was kind of looking at the millions of people and going, I'm never going to be able to understand that and take in those numbers. I'm never going to be able to fully appreciate the beauty of this place because there's so much to take in. And then kind of just having to close my eyes and going, but it doesn't actually matter the number of people or how beautiful the shrine. Actually, if I just close my eyes, it's this whatever I'm feeling right now. Um, and that is nothing to do, that it, it doesn't have to be to do with religion. Hmm. And this is the most, I think this is why it went viral, is because it's not to do with religion. And yes, but lots of people have pinned it to say it's Imam Hussein. And, but actually what we need to be saying is, it's the space in which he provided, you know? That is what the gift was. I, I that think... space. Uh, sorry, sorry to, to cut you off, but I, my my own sort of personal uh, experience. Whenever I've sort of travelled and and been in other countries, and and obviously uh, often there'll be like an iconic church, for example, um, and I'll, I'll go there as a tourist, and often I'll go sit inside, for example, um, mm -hmm. for twenty minutes, half an hour, and just kind of sit in silence because obviously if, if there's a, a, a something going on, um, I just kind of observe and. Personally, I've always walked out of those experiences feeling quite uplifted. Um, and Ditto. churches are lovely spaces. But I feel like there's a there's always an energy, especially in sort of religious settings. There's this kind of tangible energy um, that that does something to you, and it doesn't mean that you have to necessarily resonate directly with whatever that is. But it's about yeah. how how it internally impacts you and 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 affects you. And I think, and I'm glad almost that you kind of took the time at that moment to to soak it all in, because as you said, if you had just been working like you were the previous year, that kind of moment would be completely lost, and you'd have some pictures from it, but that's it. But it's like it, at the end of the day, our, ourselves are almost the most important thing in all of this, in sort of spiritual growth and development, and we can't get lost in mm -hmm. the kind of I, I would call it the, the mundane, the kind of doing our jobs, which is taking pictures in your case. Um, you can kind of lose the experience along the way, which would be a shame. So I'm glad that you you took that time and, and sort of had that moment, um, and, and it came across on video. Like it was, it was almost moving just to to see how how much it impacted you and how much it affected you. Yeah, I, I I I've never I've never experienced anything like that. That wasn't hysteria or being. It was overwhelming, but that you know that was that wasn't like manifested by the energy of the of everyone else because you know you've got lots of people crying and it wasn't it was the sense of like I'd walked and I'd arrived and I'd arrived spiritually in a place that I had never anticipated I would have and a lot of people are walking towards that experience and they're saying I'm getting closer and closer I can almost feel it and they're pushing it I'm sure and you know, there's a number of people I met they said I forced myself to cry so I can get closer, I try to get rid of, I'm trying to shake things off, I'm trying to make sure that I'm as raw as possible for when I get there. Mm. And I was, mine was coming by sort of accident and it was almost a bit stressful. I was thinking, I, I, I'd have you talking to someone, I'd say, oh, I'm perfect, I'm <laughs> You know, kind of be there in the corner, wiping a cup of tears, going, right, I can focus again. And everyone said, you need to go into a room and just cry and I was, felt very stubborn about it all and so I came back to my hotel room and I was brushing my teeth 
and you know I didn't really stop too much because I was a bit afraid to stop yeah and so I um I was like in my hotel room brushing my teeth and I saw myself in the mirror for the first time and then I just went <gasps> just in, on the bathroom floor by the toilet just like fell to the floor and just like cried yeah. and then was like I was like, oh my god, this is happening. I'm obviously, I said, tomorrow, this is the day before Abba, and I was like, tomorrow, I'm going to be a wreck. <laughs> and uh, I held it together. It's just for those those videos. And it's nice, you know, Farzan is so trusted. So when he's filming, I wasn't thinking of it going online in that way. Yeah. You know, it's not like being a film crew. It's like, Farzan on an iPhone X, it's like, it's my friend just, and I and I wasn't even really thinking about the camera. Because you don't, it's a, the mobile phone yeah so, yeah yeah so having um there's other footage that's really special that i didn't post so well yeah we'll, we'll share some of that soon i think okay and i i think just one sort of thought that came to my mind on all of this is like even with the, the hajj pilgrimage for example which is obviously for muslims the the kind of that you know something that we have to do once in our lifetime but people often go many times what's interesting i went uh, about two or three years ago for hajj for the first time and and what's what's crazy about that is that there's this it, it's a very spiritual experience and it's meant to be but there's a lot of physical struggle that you go through so the three-day pilgrimage itself is extremely taxing on the body and i think that there's an element of we have to physically exert ourselves and and almost be in that state of complete tiredness and be completely shattered to then grow spiritually um, at least in Islam, there's a, there's a sort of element of that, and there's a, there's a kind of running theme. It's the same same with like Kumbh Mela for, for for Hindus, and yeah. there's a lot of Shin pilgrimages. Well, I, I think I think you're absolutely right. It's like stripping yourself bare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the only thing I know that the difference between those two is like you have to pay a lot to do, <laughs> and also people. I think because money is introduced, people feel they've paid for their right to be closer, so they will trample on you and push you away. Because it's like I've paid quite a lot of money to be here, and I'm not. Whilst for Arbaeen, it's free, so everyone's like, I am blessed to just be here and experience it. You go first, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's quite an amazing one. And another thing I just remembered as well was Ramadan as well. So we, we fast the whole month, and then the sort of the main night, uh, the night of Qadr, where the, when the Quran was revealed, which is like a spiritual night, is right at the end of the month. So you've kind of done your time in terms of like pu not punishing your body, but disciplining your body not eating and not drinking for like a whole for a whole month essentially and then you have this kind of spiritual evening which it's almost like preparation for that so it, it's quite interesting and I, I think you know the fact that you 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 walked 100 kilometers to kind of be there it it, it, it almost opens you up in, in that sense in quite a nice way coming back to your photography um, were there any particular standout moments or, or images that you captured during your time in Iraq this year, there's one picture that I'm very, very fond of, and it's of an Iraqi general um, just on the outskirts of Najaf, and he was an Iraqi, he was an Iraqi general, and he was shot in the stomach by Darmayash, and he lost his kidney and pancreases, and they couldn't find it when they actually discovered him. And Daesh cut the heads off of generals, so they, they'd mistaken him. And this only happened in March 2018. He had to pay for his medical care. Um, it's not that Iraqis refuse to do it, it's just it's so disorganized, there's so much going on that it's very hard to manage all of this. And so he's only recently returned home. And I took a photograph of him on his, on his bed, in his bedroom, um, with his three boys. And it was a very important picture because it's it's looking at the at male intimacy, which is something that we never attach to. Certainly, like Arab and Persian men, particularly like Muslim men, we this is something that in that kind of global narrative when we're looking at Muslims, they don't put in. So I thought it was really, really important to show like how cuddly and like overly affectionate like men in like Persia like. It's unbelievable. Everyone's just like kissing and cuddling and holding hands. And this is a photograph with his three boys on the bed. And he was explaining to me that he, whilst he's fighting for his country, that will always be the case. But the priority is also for his babies. And it was a really great way to look at 
Um, you might just see Iraqi men as fighters, and we've only ever seen pictures of these men in Mosul, you know, right up in the north or border of Syria. But really, these men just are making sure that their their babies are are safe, and you, that's another way of changing that that narrative. Yeah. It's nice to see the, an Iraqi general at home because we haven't seen that. I haven't seen that, so I'm I'm very proud of that picture. I think it's 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 quite um, notable that the, the media in the West, as you mentioned earlier, you know there isn't much uh, dep- depiction or portrayal of of the Arabian pilgrimage or just Iraq in general outside of post Saddam, post war. This is what's happening in Iraq. And like intimacy is such an important thing, um, and also the the other thing I'd really like to say about Arbaeen is that this year was majority women and for anyone who thinks it is unsafe um, I found it to be and I will say this on record I found it to be the most comfortable experience I've had as a woman Um, the only thing I found difficult was kind of the clothes I was wearing and when I could take off my headscarf and um, you know that was the bit that I was learning and that's a step for any woman when they're kind of dressed modestly but I felt totally safe, and there's a lot of women that walk on their own. Um, as like a number of the women said to me, any other time of the year, any other event, they wouldn't be allowed to do this. But during Arbaeen, there is a, a real understanding that it's safe. Now, there's a lot of propaganda around Iraqi men and Iranian men and how they treat the you know Iranian women and Iraqi women. I, uh, these are all these will always exist, all these sorts of narratives. But what I would ask people listening to witness it for yourself. All you have to do is pay for your flight and uh, your visa. And once you're there, you just have to be positive and walk. That's it. And if you need to get to a hospital, someone will drive you. Just Mm. ask them. And if you're tired, someone will let you into their home. You don't have to worry. And I think there's only so much that people can kind of say about it without it sounding a bit manic. Because I think people who've been are just so, including myself, just so kind of obsessed with it that it just sounds a bit odd. Like, you've got to come. It doesn't sound realistic. But all you have to do is pay for your flight and your visa. That's it. And off you go. Yeah. It's easy. Uh, <laughs> you make it sound very easy. And, and I, I guess ultimately it is. But as you said, it's, it, but it's overcoming that initial hurdle of, of going to war-torn Iraq, going to a foreign land. And, and I guess also for, for, for people, for Muslims even, that aren't Shia, um, there's also this kind of uh, entering the unknown, for, for example, not knowing what, what they're kind of getting themselves into. Um, and, and what's interesting, I, I, I two years ago I went to Iraq and I saw a, a Christian group, I think they were Iraqi Christians, um, that had come to kind of pay their respects in Karbala itself. And there is this, you know, when you're there on the ground, there's this nature of this is not a a Shia pilgrimage. This is just a, a thing for the people, for everybody. Um, but it's just the case of who's answering the call almost right now. Um, mm. and, and so I think it's it's great that obviously you've, you've, um, you've been there now twice and obviously have, have booked for next year as well. Um, and I, I, to be honest, I think it's hugely important as well that you tell the stories and, and through your, obviously through the work that you I do, you're doing that. Yeah. Sorry? I think it's so good for us. I want to try and do it every year. <laughs> and I, I hope you get really? the chance because it is, it is incredible, no, 100%. With regards to the, the sort of photography that you've taken on this trip, um, I guess you've, you've probably partially answered this, but what would be the sort of just underwriting or overwhelming um, sense of what you're trying to capture and also where can pe- people see the pictures that you've you've taken so um, so I showed I showed the work I took last year to a friend of mine wonderful photographer and she said to me oh I love it but you need to get closer and I said look I've got portraits and I have got close she was like no like the heart stuff like the soul stuff you've got to get closer and I kind of, I never said it to her, but the first thing I thought was, how? Um, walking it is the answer. So this year the work is very, very different. It's much closer. It quite literally, it's in people's homes and, um, you know, it's, they're very, very intimate pictures, I think. And um, I look a lot at the rural routes. So 
I just I've had a, a number of calls over the past week about where the work is going to go. Um, but we are going to be touring the exhibition um, starting in Paris. Uh, that'll be next year. And there will be a show coming to London um, and a number of other European cities. We feel that it is essential that it's in Europe and America to start with um, because we need to be reaching a diverse audience. A lot of the opportunities that have been offered are obviously by like Islamic institutes and they're saying, you know, we can have it within our spaces, but I'm saying it stays, the trouble is it stays within the community. Yeah. What, what The whole point of and why they picked me to kind of do this job is that I'm supposed to be um, neutralizing that narrative a bit. So it's like an in-between person who's, because I'm not Muslim, it means that I can carry that message to other non-Muslims, you know, so it's it's more inclusive, I guess, which is sad, right? But you mm. have to, it's, it is the case. So I want it to be in, um, yeah, in spaces that offer a bit more diversity. Um, and I want to get like other um, Muslim photographers involved in projects that I'm doing. Um, this is this is a very large scale thing that I'm working on at the moment, and it requires sensitivity. Requires people who have so much experience in this, and I do not take my position for granted. As I always said, I want to learn, um, and I'm happy to be called out on things um, as long as there's very good reason for it. Um, so this is kind of what I'm pushing for at the moment is, yeah, is to get a, a real kind of a group of people together who um, will offer that diverse voice that is required. Um, I have never online or on my website claimed to be uh, a representative for, for anything. Um, I'm merely a storyteller. Um, and that also has its own kind of uh, importance and requires certain level of respect but i've never ever claimed to be a rep for, for for these sorts of things what i do want are allies um and i certainly feel like i am a, an ally for for muslim communities particularly in the uk and i will do my bit but i require support and education because you you can't just read about things you have to you have to hear it from people like what is your experience because my experience of the uk is so different to yours yeah. you know the same as my mother and my experience of the UK is different. It, you know, every, you have to hear these stories. So that's going to be the first part is, is getting this sort of exhibition out and making it as educational and artistic as possible, trying to bridge those two. And then the, the kind of next part we're doing is, yeah, we're, I'm going to be looking at there's some other projects in the Middle East um, that will be looking at positive narratives again. And then I will be going back next year which is very exciting um and i kind of come to realize that every single year will be a different experience and how i feel now i'll no doubt feel incredibly different next year after a year of work and the assignments that are coming up so i do see i'll be i'll be now as like a regeneration kind of 10 days or so yeah but next year will be a lot longer but I think that'll also be quite interesting for yourself to be able to to, to use it as almost a bookmark in your life and yeah. and look at how you've grown, progressed, and changed as a human being. Um, reflecting. And, and reflecting, because obviously amongst all the work that you're doing out there, um, I'm, I'm sure there is time j just to kind of reflect, I hope at least anyway, to kind of be alone and just with your thoughts and, and use that time for growth, essentially. Not during Arbaeen. No? Nope. There's no time for quiet. <laughs> no, everyone is chatting away to me and watching me sleep. You know, when I go to sleep, everyone's watching me. And when I wake up, people are watching me. Wow. So <laughs> next, next year, I'm, I'm going to walk bits of it, but I'm going to make sure I get hotel rooms more just so I can focus on producing the work. Yeah. It's quite hard because there's lots of newborn babies when you're in the women's mo camps. And mm. it's Not much sleep. If, yeah, if you're working on top of walking, like it's important you have time to, of course. to be in isolation. <laughs> And I, I guess um, just sort of to to finish on my end, um, I, I just wanted to kind of commend you for for for, for being brave enough to, to to turn up in the first place. That first email you got in two thousand seventeen, two weeks before you know a trip to Iraq, um, as you said, not many people would answer that call. 
Um, and customers are very intelligent, aren't they? I wouldn't call it brave. <laughs> I'd say it's stupid. No, but, it, it, but, but as I said, the, the work that you've produced off the back of that, and, and I'm, I'm very much looking forward to obviously this year's series as well, um, has you've you've managed to I guess humanize a, a people that is often referred to as they um, them in the east and whatever else, and you've also uh, shone a light on something that many people don't know about. As we said, you know, one of the largest peaceful gatherings in the world that takes place every single year, yet 90% more in the UK have never heard of this. So it, it, it's amazing that you, you've been able to kind of chip away at that. Um, and, and I guess a lot more work needs to be done uh, in terms of, you know, Islamophobic narratives in the UK and whatever else. As you said, your personal experience, you've seen a completely different side to what how you perceived Iraq and the Middle East and whatever else, just through your your own personal journey. Um, but I guess if people can't go there themselves and they need to kind of be exposed to more positive narratives, and I guess more true narratives, it's not even about painting it as positive or negative, but just telling yeah. the story and let people make their own decisions. Um, yeah, so, and, yeah. and isn't, isn't it sad that promoting a positive narrative can be even deemed a propaganda-esque thing. <laughs> I, that was one of the like, most heartbreaking things about this, yeah. that there was a kind of like, obviously a like, minuscule amount of people kind of deemed it that sense of like, why is she doing this? Where's the, fu- yeah, where's the money coming from? Where, yeah, who, who's put her up to just, this? Which is just so scary. Um, and I, I think... To um, be fair, sorry, I, on that, the thing is that, you know, it, it happens the other way as well. So, you know, the right-wing groups in the UK are heavily funded by US private donors. So, so these narratives are being promoted on the other side. So you can't blame them for thinking we're up to the same old tricks. If, if we're yeah. doing this whole us and them stuff, then that's how they perceive it. But I, I think, you know, as you've seen, everyone, the, the 15 million or whatever people that are there, they're all there in their own individual right. It's not a political statement that's being made. It's not, it's just, no. it, it's just a religious pilgrimage. Um, and, and that's almost the beauty of it, that there's no, there's no hidden agenda. It's just people going there to kind of do their thing and then coming back home. Yeah, and also just just from like, uh, you know, the, the only available like political kind of discussion I think that is worth having is that for one month of the year, Iraqi and Iranian authorities, intelligence units and military collaborate. And they say there's like this big push from the Iranian government to kind of promote promote it or whatever. And I just think, no, 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 just take a step back and go, the Iraq-Iran war wasn't that long ago, right? Like people who are walking Arbaeen, Iranian and Iraqis fought against each other. Yeah. And they are walking and the Iranian government is supporting the Iraqi government and this let's just take a moment just go that's cool I'm not going to say anything more on the matter just go (laughs) you know what that's pretty cool why is it talking about that and it's it's just it's like that's enough to be impressed by that's people moving on not just on a ground level you know everyone kind of getting along and chatting and being open minded but we're talking from like the, the other end the bit that we always go, well, they're a nightmare, but the people are lovely. You know, we, we, we say just the government's a nuisance, but no, in this case, you go, that is very impressive that everyone is, you know, stepping up to it and saying, it, we are greater than this yeah. history or experience. I think that that is definitely um, quite, quite remarkable. I think a few years ago that the Iraqi authorities actually... Um, just opened the borders from Iran and and people like they weren't even checking any they were just people just kind of flooding in because they were so overwhelmed but also because there is that kind of collaborative nature between the authorities and whatever else so it's it it is truly amazing um I think yeah yeah I I think I just um wanted to I guess just thank you for your time today and I know you said you know you're You've been inundated with people trying to get in touch with you, and I thank you for, for taking the opportunity to speak Some to us. Interesting sites. Contacted me, wanting to interview me, and I've like almost said yes, and then Googled it, and gone, oh no, 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 you don't want to speak to those people. I'm glad your Google search came back positive on us, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, it's because I met Ali, and lots of people were like, can you speak to Muslim Vibe? Like, they've been in touch, and I couldn't find messages because there's so many messages on my inbox. Yeah. I was just diverting everyone just like email me because 
that but that was there were less messages because it's well over 50,000 messages I got wow like and I tried to read them yeah, yeah. I've people have said that like, you never responded but I have read them I might not have love hearted them or said anything for that but I have read them yeah there's some amazing messages and um I hope you liked the fact that I shared some of people's experiences because it was quite important that, again, I had the opportunity to do this and achieved a platform to share the stories, but that's also handed back to everyone else who walked it because it wasn't just me. <laughs> of course, of course. And, and we'll, millions we'll, of other people. We'll, we'll share the link to your Instagram in the... Um, in the description of this as well so people can just have a look and you know you've got the stories from your Iraq trip this year there and also the other work you've done in Borneo um, and everywhere else which is, is frankly quite uh, amazing um, but yeah no thank you very much for your time and um, hopefully we can catch up again after next year's trip yeah or on it or on it yeah even I'm better I'm going to be around as you know I'm going to be <laughs> meandering through the place so you know, yeah <laughs> I will be one of the most kind of accessible people to be honest on that walk. Awesome. I'll be longing to have a chat as well because I'm always in isolation from the beginning of the journey. That's great. Thank you very much for your time. Well, that's all for this week's podcast. Thank you very much um, to Emily for her time and thank you all for listening as well. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media at The Muslim Vibe. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wahed helps you become a halal investor in minutes. Clients from over 40 states have already started their journey with us. Here's how it works. First, we ask you eight simple questions to recommend a portfolio based on your risk profile. You then select your portfolio and simply sign up online. Your account can be approved in seconds. After you fund your account, we'll place the trades for you. All you have to do then is sit back and monitor your performance. It actually is that easy.